0: The New Testament book of Romans is a masterpiece of the Christian faith. Written to the new believers in first century Rome, it continues to speak to believers today. More than that, it is God's revealed truth to the world of His love for mankind and His plan to bring spiritual renewal to the world. It's heady stuff, this letter. Peace with God through faith. Struggling in the tension of doing things my way or God's way. The faithfulness of God and His incredible love for every one of us. God's love can be overwhelming. This learning to live in the freedom of God's grace. That's why we have titled this eight-week series, Drinking from Fire Hydrants, Renewed by Overwhelming Grace. Listen as Pastor Bo shares from the inspired words of the great teacher Paul from Romans chapters 5 through 8, On God's overwhelming grace.
1: Good morning, Bridges family. How's everyone doing this morning? Brave the brutal weather out there this morning, I see. Those East Coasters, I don't know why they complain. We have brutal weather here, too. We are in Romans 6 this morning, and if you were here last week, you kind of heard what I like to call part one, because Nate, uh, Pastor Nate, brought the message, and he did a fantastic job introducing us to this topic. And I encourage you, if you missed last week, uh, go back and listen to it. It's on our website, BridgesCC.org, and you can uh, download it, listen to it, and uh, it'll really help. It just goes hand in hand with what we're talking about this morning. Plus, you get to hear an awesome snake illustration about Nate's uh, story about a rattlesnake, and so it's worth it just for that as well. So this morning, you can go ahead and turn over to Romans uh, chapter six if you want to. We'll be there in a second if you want to. If you're one of those who'd like to jump ahead, but uh, we we're, we're looking at this idea of slavery and control, and and I love this song that the worship team played earlier called White Flag. It's by Chris Tomlin. I've been listening to that a lot this week. And then there's also another media clip that kind of stuck out to me as I was preparing this week and, and thinking about all the themes that are in here that the Apostle Paul introduces. And so I want to show this, this video clip to you. And let me set it up just by saying, in case you haven't seen it, it's uh, this movie called Despicable Me. <laughs> and the, one of the main characters is this super evil, super genius named Gru. And he likes to have control over everything. And he even has this army of minions that he has control over. And no one tells him no. He is the boss in his life. And then he decides he's going to adopt kids. Gru tries to have control. And as he goes out uh, around in this movie, he realizes he doesn't have as much control as he thinks that he has. But we all desire control, don't we? Especially as parents or grandparents or anyone who's taking care of kids. Maybe you've babysat or done childcare, And this idea of control is just one of the reasons why Paul is writing this message in the book of Romans. So let's see what he has to say and how it works into this overall theme here this morning. Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 15. We're going to go 15 through 18 right here and kind of work our way through throughout the morning. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, Slavery is an ugly word. It's offensive and terrible in our culture and time. And, and in Paul's time when he was writing this, it wasn't much better then. So why does Paul use this word then? This word slavery that kind of carries this baggage with it. Well, it's for one simple reason. It's because the people were all familiar with it. They lived in it. The, the people would know it very well. Slaves were some of the lowest class in this society. That's why Paul uses it as an illustration. One third of the population would have been in slavery right then. And another third would have uh, had uh, an experience in slavery themselves. And maybe they were freed. And so you have two-thirds of the population that would closely relate to what Paul is saying, this illustration that he's using with this idea of slavery. Now, I'm not going to get into everything that the Bible has to say about slavery and this whole argument. If you want to talk to me more about it, you can, we can talk afterwards. This is just an illustration that he uses. But you should know that uh, in Paul's day, in the Roman society that it was a fairly common practice to sell yourself into slavery. And so keep that in mind as, uh, as we go throughout this morning, that, that people would sell themselves for debt or, or, or to raise money for their family, whatever that would mean. And it, once again, we could talk about that later if you want to, but uh, the people would be very familiar with this idea. And so there are two types of slavery that Paul is talking about here. He says we are born into the slavery of sin. There's nothing we can do to control that. We are born into it, and we are trapped in it. We are helpless to defeat it on our own. However, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, sin has been defeated. And that's the good news, is that God's grace is available to us because of Jesus' work there, something that we'll celebrate specifically in a few weeks here on Easter, which is awesome. But Paul lets us know that Yes, we were born into slavery. We had no choice there. But there's another type of optional slavery that we could choose to be in. There's a second type of slavery. And we're given the chance to offer ourselves to be slaves to righteousness and slaves to God. Now, this isn't something that Paul is saying, you do it and, and I'm good over here. Paul says, you know what? I'm a servant and slave to God as well. He says that many times throughout the New Testament. And then we also have other examples of of just giants in the faith, disciples and, and writers saying this. We have Peter who says this. We have James who says this. We have Jude who says this. They all refer to themselves at one point as servants or slaves to God. And Paul is saying, I did it. I made that choice. And this is what God is calling all of us to do. So God frees us from slavery to sin. He offers this choice to give ourselves over to righteousness. And this is sometimes where we start to look for more choices, for a third choice. And we start to look around. and we, we think we're free from sin and we're able to handle things on our own. That, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's great that, that we're free from sin. That's awesome. We made that choice, but you know what? God, I don't really want to be another slave. I don't want to be a slave to you. It's just not going to work for me, so I'm going to look in this direction. I'm going to look over here. But Paul says that slavery to sin begins at birth, but slavery to God begins at our new birth when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our life. And it's so easy to reject this idea outright because of the filter we see things through in our culture today, the baggage that comes along with this. However, God gave everything, everything to save whoever would come to him and offer themselves to him. He gave his own son who went willingly to die a horrific death on the cross. Now the human slave owner forces you to do a task for him. You do this for me. However, God tells us that he has already done this amazing thing for us because of his love for us. It's a huge difference there. Let's go on to see what what else Paul is saying next, starting with verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness— leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. And so Paul leaves no room for another choice. It's one or the other. We think we have the choice because we like to be in control, like grew up here. We, we like to think that we have control. I like how the author, Rebecca Manley Pipper puts it. She says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And we we fool ourselves into thinking that we have control and we're not slaves. Even if you are not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you have a God. So what is that God for you? No matter who you are, what are you making the God of your life? And we, we all want control of our lives to a certain extent. We'll all go to uh, great lengths to prove that we have control. It's a great balancing act, and a lot of times it just goes disastrous. You know, a great reminder that I have in my life uh, that I don't have a whole lot of control is kids. And having kids specifically around all the time. I have three kids. I have an eight-year-old daughter. I have a four-year-old son and a one-year-old son, and they remind me all the time how little control I have in my life. I, uh, and I know this is a common theme. If you're a parent or a grandparent or, or if you take care of kids on a regular basis, you know what I'm talking about. I have a couple text messages that I saw this week. They are not mine, but sent from other parents that I saw on the internet, and I, I thought this totally illustrates what I'm talking about. Here's the first one. Do you know where the pink sport cup is? The world is currently ending over this, FYI. If you've ever had a child who was so fixated on that one cup but you couldn't find it, you know what they're talking about. Then we have another one. Look at this new drawing the baby made. Oh, and by the way, buy paints. Some of you probably have some of these nice drawings up in your house on your wall. There's another one. The baby is asleep on me and I can't reach the remote. Please help. P.S., also bring pretzels. (laughs) You can relate, some of you. I know you can. You know, another way that my kids remind me of this is taking pictures. I told you I have three kids, and some of you have multiple kids. And I found that—I'm not sure what's more difficult. Now, I'm not a science major, but I don't know if it's splitting the atom that's more difficult or getting all three of my kids to look at the camera at one time that's more difficult. I don't know. But we went and took pictures yesterday, professional pictures at Stone Ridge Mall, and we met some of our family members there. They were kind of family Easter pictures. And— you know, they, they, they were wonderful. Ah, yeah. Um, that's what I like to tell myself. But they, they, they ended up turning out great. But we had my eight-year-old, my four-year-old, my one-year-old. And then we had my uh, two nephews. One is three, and one is uh, just an infant. And trying to get them all, it was probably a really comedic scene where all the parents are behind the photographer trying to say, no, right here, right here. Look right here at the camera. I'm like, what? Huh? Where are you pointing? It's difficult. It's hard. We had no control. And then one of the parents, I'm not going to say who it was. I'm not going to throw them under the bus, decided that it would be a good idea to promise, hey, if you, if you listen and obey in here, you can go to the candy store afterwards. <laughs> and so what happened was that the mom stayed behind to pick out the pictures, and the dads were in charge of taking them to the candy store which was awesome, with two strollers and a little candy store. And somehow the kids like boxed us into one corner, and you us all the bulk candy? And I was saying, no, two pieces, two pieces, and they come back with a bag full. I'm like, oh. right. I wanted to curl up in the corner in the fetal position and just go to my happy place. It was insane. No control. I'm a firm believer that one reason that God puts kids in our lives is to show us this life is out of our hands. We can't control everything. The great lie that our enemy tries to tell us is that we can have control. And we like to believe this. One of my favorite movies from the 90s, maybe you like this too, is a, is a great movie called The Matrix. And the two main characters, uh, they, they were sitting in, in chairs facing each other, and uh, they're meeting for the first time. It's Morpheus and Neo. And Morpheus sa- uh, asked Neo, do you believe in fate, Neo? And Neo says, no. And Morpheus says, well, why not? And Neo says, because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. Now we hear that and we think, wow, that's pretty strong words. But isn't this true of many of us in this room right now that we don't like the idea that someone else is kind of in control? And maybe we like, we're like we okay with half control. But with God, it's all or nothing. Paul says, we are all slaves to something either to sin or to righteousness. And if we do everything we can to be in control of our lives, we are still slaves to sin. We end up messing things up entirely because our own control is only an illusion. We're ruled by something. What, what are you ruled by? What is it? The idea behind being a slave to God is that we are in the middle of giving everything over to our creator who loves us. We give him control. Say, God, I can't handle this. I can't. You can. I'm giving you control. There's a word for that in the Bible, and Paul uses it in verse 19. It's called sanctification. It's kind of a big theological word, but it's super important. It's basically the Holy Spirit working in us with giving every area of our lives over to God to do what he wants to do with. Every person who is a follower of Jesus we are told is given the Holy Spirit when we become a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in our lives, showing us areas that we need God, showing us areas that are sinful or that are coming between us and God, that aren't the way that God planned our lives to be. Because God has set us apart for a holy purpose. He has a plan that is amazing for our lives. And when we try and take control, we just, we mess that up. We do. We do. And this idea of sanctification is a process. It doesn't happen all at one time. That's why it takes us our whole lives, the Spirit working in us saying, you know what, this area over here, you thought you had control of that? You don't. You need to give it over to God. Or this area over here, just let God have that. Why are you trying to control that? It's a process. Let's continue in Romans six twenty-one through 23. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Has anyone ever been really lost in this room, like on the road, you made a wrong turn or something? Just me? Just me? couple of you? Okay, good. I remember one time, right after I got married, my wife, Lenea, she works in children's ministry. We were talking about this this week. And this is before GPS. This is even before, like, everyone had GPSs, like the, the, the separate ones that you would, like, keep on your dashboard or whatever. Now we all have them in our phones. This was in the age of paper maps. Anyone remember paper maps? Okay. All right. So uh, we had just, we were married for uh, maybe a month. And we were, had lived down in the Bay Area, not here, but we were uh, up near the Hercules-Panol area. And my wife, she had to drive down. I don't know why. It was for some important appointment. She had to drive down and spend the afternoon about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour away. And so she was coming back, and it was nighttime. It was dark out. It was like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And we had no idea about our surroundings, or, and I wasn't with her at all. And she was driving back on 880, And she realized she was going the wrong way on 880. Somehow she had got on 880 south. She needed to be going north. And so she gets off of 880 in Oakland. But it's one of those exits that she thought she could just get off and get back on going the right way. But she she didn't (laughs) because there was no other on-ramp right there. And so she gets off, and she starts going to these neighborhoods in areas of Oakland at night that she had no idea where she was. (laughs) And she calls me on the phone. We did have cell phones. I wasn't that old, but we had cell phones. She calls me, and I have no idea about anything in our area. And she's like, "You know what? It's dark out. I'm somewhere in Oakland on these side streets, and there are these strange people like hanging out on street corners and different things." And she's starting to freak out, and she has no idea what to do. And I don't know what to do. I don't know where she is. And she keeps going and going. I said, "Okay, let me call our friend." So I had to hang up with her, call our friend. And I told him kind of the the area that she was at, and, and he gave some advice. And she was finally able to change her direction to get right back on the road. But you know what? The area we found out was really dangerous that she was in. Did not want to be there at night. But she was able to turn around, get back on the freeway, and get on the right direction. And this is what Paul's talking about here. What direction are you going to take? Are you going to go this way, or are you going to go that way? The road you take matters. One way can lead you to the place where you want to be. The other can lead you off into nowhere and possibly destruction. He says there's the eternal rewards of sin, the wages of sin is death, or the rewards of righteousness, which is eternal life with God. Living for the amazing plan that he has for us here on this earth. It's one way or the other, Paul says. There's no third choice. So, how do we become slaves to righteousness and to God? If Paul says, This is the way, this is the direction to take. Okay, I want to be a slave to God. How do I do that? Well, when we see our slavery to sin as, as what it really is, we recognize that anytime we put anything above God on our priority list, that we start to become a slave to that thing. Could be academics, getting ready, you want to get the highest grade possible. So, everything that's all, that's your all, that's everything. Or maybe it's your kids' academics. Maybe they're so important that nothing else comes before your kids in school. Now, I know some of this kind of seems, wow, who, who would do that? But, or I, I don't do that. But I've been a youth pastor here for six years, and I've seen Christian and non-Christian parents do this. It's pretty common here. How about finances? Never having enough. I know people that they, they have a goal for what they want to save and have security with with stocks or savings accounts. And then once they reach that, it's not enough. They keep going and everything, all their little bit of energy is into that. God is down here somewhere. What about our job? Guess what? Sometimes jobs change. We get let go. What about our ego, how we appear to others? Sometimes even here at church, it's so easy to go about the day Go about a Sunday morning like this. People say, oh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Wonderful. Everything's, everything's great. You know, hashtag blessed. And it's not. We're being torn up inside. And, but we're unwilling to let that mask down, that facade down that we put up. And our ego gets in the way. Or our time, just how we're spending time. But the list could go on and on of things that we put above God. Furthermore, these things we sometimes put ahead of God are always changing. They're always in flux. Our lives constantly go up and down when we're slaves to anything other than God. Let's use the kids' grade as, as an example. You know what? They get an A, everything's great. Ah, oh, they get a C. How does that look for me? How does it look on them? What does that mean for the future? It's a roller coaster ride because all this stuff is temporary. They're go- it's going to fail at some point, no matter how hard we try to control it. It's so easy to place our identity in these things. We get wrapped up in describing ourselves as as this or doing this or this is me, I achieved that, this is what I'm about or I have this, so I got it all put together. When it's temporary and it can all go away and even without knowing it, this temporary becomes our identity. We must understand that our identity for a follower of Jesus is rooted in him, not the temporary events that happen or the things that we achieve. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's an awesome verse right there because it says, you know what? You're a child of God. Your identity is him. It's no longer in this world. I, I'm going to invite my friend Natalie to come up right now. This is Natalie Lau. She is a... Uh, You can clap for her, that's fine. She's awesome. She's one of our high school leaders, and she's just had this amazing journey with God, and I just wanted her to share it a little bit. Natalie grew up in this area. She went to Mission San Jose High School, and so she kind of knows a lot about uh, stuff going on around here. So let me ask you growing up, how did the pressures around you kind of affect your choices for a college or career?
2: Well, against stereotype, my parents never expected me to be a perfect student. The pressure to become outstanding actually came from my peers, um, where I discovered that I can actually earn value based on the major accomplishments I've had, as long as I pursue the oh, wow moments. You know, stuff like, well, what are you majoring in? Oh, I'm an engineer. Oh, wow, so that's one point. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I changed majors to accounting. Oh, no point.
1: All right, so you changed your major in college. Why, why did you do that?
2: So I really did start as an engineer in college, and um, God caused things to happen where I found myself um, switching over to accounting. And because of this, it, um, he, he used that switch to eradicate any last remnants of my enslavement, really, to my oh-wow system. Really, it's enslavement to self-worship, let's be honest now. Um, and during this time... God was weighing on my heart, you know, if you had based your value and your identity on your job, your GPA, the number on your paycheck, you're ultimately basing something really crucial on something that's really unreliable. The economy could tank, someone could dislike me for any sort of reason that's out of my control. So God's persistent question to me was, well, what would give you unfaltering value Now, in economics, I was learning at this time that we value goods based on what someone is willing to sacrifice for it. And in church, I was learning that God, our creator of infinite worth, had given his own life for me to gain my salvation, therefore transferring to me infinite value, regardless of what I did. So in light of this, it no longer mattered what I majored in, what my job is, as long as I played for God's team.
1: Awesome. Yeah.
2: So you
1: recently felt God calling you to take a completely different path again in your life. So what was that like?
2: Pretty freaky. (laughs) So last summer, um, I took a leave of absence from my job, and I spent a couple of months in India serving with a rescue home for human trafficking victims. Before I left India in September, the guys in charge asked me to um, return for a longer season. They suggested a year. Um, And this kind of decision would, in my old oh-wow system, ruin my life. Because it required me to leave my job. It required me to leave any promotions that I would have gotten and worked really hard for. It required me to leave the the, the home I was trying to create for the past decade... And leave even the basic comfort of knowing what I'd be doing tomorrow.
1: All right. So, so what happened? They called you for you know, to come back, and uh, did you leave? What happened then?
2: So my flight was last month. Um, clearly, I was not on that flight, because otherwise I would not be here. Um, so what happened was two weeks before I was supposed to leave, um, the Indian consulate got back to me about my passport, which they had for months. And they informed me that, no, we're not issuing to you a work visa, which means you may not enter the country. And they didn't tell me for how long. They didn't tell me whether it was forever or not. And so there was a lot of uncertainty. Now, if I believe that God is all-powerful, then I must also believe that he is all-wise, that he is the perfect planner of events. Um, So for me, it's not my right to demand to know, why did you allow this to happen, God? Instead, it is my responsibility to ask, well, what do you have for me next?
1: All right. So you're, you're in waiting mode right now, and you're not sure what's coming next. How do you hold on to your identity being solid in Jesus Christ? When to others, maybe on the outside, it might seem like there's all this chaos and unknown swirling around you, and you, know, you left all your security behind. So what, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you hold on to that?
2: Well, the fact that I'm standing on this stage holding this mic does not mean I'm any more any I have any greater faith than the next person, and I will be the first to tell you that to be honest, waiting and uncertainty really, really sucks. Um, but but through it all, like I must have grieved for the past month, but God had provided to me so many from the body of Christ, so many of you who had provided to me a safe place to process through things and to worship with me through the sorrow. And during this time, God had also been exceptionally kind to me. Um, He's been showing me through my quiet times, through multiple books of the Bible, that he is um, he's a very active God. He certainly hasn't forgotten about me, and he is not only interested in, but he involves himself in the details of my life. So I say, like, let the uncertainty and the chaos swell around me. I rest in the comfort that God has a firm grip on me, and He has no intention of letting go.
1: All right. Thank you, Natalie. To me, Natalie is a great example of how we can understand that we, when we give our lives over to God, when we say, God, I want to be a slave to you and your righteousness, that we can find our identity in Jesus because we are adopted into his family. We are his children, and he will take care of us. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, it says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the uh, the promise. In Roman times an adopted child had the exact same rights and privileges of a natural child born into the family. There was no difference. They had the same inheritance they had the same privileges, they had the same family name. The old life had basically uh, was completely erased. It ceased to exist. It was like it never happened. Believers are adopted into God's family. It means our identity is now firmly rooted in the creator of the universe, the God who is in control of everything, the one true God. And that's why we can give ourselves over, make our choice to be slaves to him because he loves us so much. So the big question is, is if we're adopted into God's family and we have eternal life right in front of us, we decide we're taking that road, why go back into slavery to sin? Because Paul kind of makes it clear throughout all of Romans chapter six that sometimes that's a temptation and we do that even as believers. Well, there's a few practical ways to make sure that this doesn't happen. These aren't new if you've been around bridges at all, you probably have heard these multiple times. But there's a reason why we say it. It's because it's so important. And it's not just for you. It's for us as pastors as well. It's for everyone in the family of bridges that these are, these are so important. And you know, in the Bible, when things are repeated over and over by some of the disciples or by Jesus, it means, hey, these are of utmost importance. So this is why we keep reminding you of them. And so some things that, I mean, these are, Personally important to me, and God has really put him on my heart to share this morning as we close. Spend time with God regularly. How are we going to give ourselves over to God if we never spend time with him? We never work on our relationship with him, we never talk with him, read his word, pray to him. So important. Join a life group. We have so many different options for life groups here, and they're on different days, different times, going over different topics. But one thing they have in common is they're all built that we can come together and grow deeper in our relationship with God and support each other as well because we're not created to do this life alone. And I would say that the third thing, and this is really hard for me, is to invite someone into your life to hold you accountable. I'm not saying a lot of people. I'm saying, who's the wise person? Who's maybe a friend of yours that you have given permission to to speak truth into your life? someone that you respect as a follower of Jesus, that you've said, hey, will you hold me accountable for this? Will you just speak truth into my life when you see me going off that road that I'm supposed to be going down? Who's that person? And if you don't have someone, because that's a scary thing, I'm gonna be honest with you. That is a scary thing to invite someone to speak truth into your life. But it's so rewarding And and it's our best thing. So if you don't have anyone, who can that be for you? Who might be that potential person there? We're going to end with a short video, but this is not a video just to watch. This is more a reflection and prayer time. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, maybe there's some areas that you have yet to give over to God. You're still trying to control it. Maybe there's an area in your life, I don't know what it is, but you're like, I'm holding on to that with all that I am. Because first of all, I don't want to let anyone see it, especially God, even though he does see it anyway. But secondly, we think we are the best at it, and we're not. What areas do you need to keep giving over to God? And once again, this idea of sanctification as a process. And sometimes it's a daily decision to keep giving these things to God every day because the temptation is there to pull it back. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You don't have to be a slave to addiction or these things that just totally entrap us. And this might be a great time just to pray to God to even give those to him. Or maybe this is the first time you've even heard about any of this. You're like, I just God, I need you to be real. If I'm gonna make, give myself over to you, I need you to speak into my life first. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. But don't take this time lightly. Don't, don't use this time just to take out your phone and check your bracket for March Madness or to update your Facebook status or you think this is over. It's take this time with God right now. So, Spend this time in prayer, and then we're going to go into some time of worship.
0: Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church sermon podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.